Agencies across government are tasked with accelerating the development of mission-critical systems. We'll be presenting a series of podcasts throughout the year with federal executives and program managers to discuss what types of technology they're implementing and how to minimize inefficiencies and improve productivity to power technology modernization. Today's low-code episode is sponsored by Appian. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Scalability and Security with Industry-Leading Government Cloud, sponsored by Appian here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Brett Mogilevsky, Information Technology Specialist for Cloud.gov at the GSA. We've got Raven Manuel, she's Senior Application Developer, Architect and DevOps Engineer for the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. We've got Steven Hernandez, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Department of Education. And Ray Wolf is the industry lead for global defense and Intel programs at Appian. And before the break, we were talking about what it is you do with applications having been lifted and shifted or have become legacy while they were in the cloud, even if developed there. And Brett, I think you wanted to tell us a little bit more about the cloud.gov perspective on that. Uh, I think not just cloud.gov, but also TTS. The um, one of the things that Steve mentioned was uh, login.gov. And, and I, as I mentioned previously, there are some other shared services that are coming out of our group. Um, the US Web Design Standard is another case where we're trying to make it easier for agencies if they have to rework stuff that they're not starting from scratch. They have a uh, very uh, 508 compliant and, uh, and government specific uh, uh, style guides and fonts and ability to, to uh, even if they're scanning an old application to make it look like part of a, a unified federal stack. Um, Steve also mentioned uh, this, the, the need for API security between agencies if you're, if you're using each other's data. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't plug uh, api.data.gov, which despite the name has nothing to do with data.gov, it's actually, it should be api.gov. Uh, that's a service if you're looking to secure and hand out keys for an API, uh, you can wrap this around it. So if you're going from a, a non-zero trust environment to a zero trust environment where you suddenly have to uh, not just trust all your clients, um, api.data.gov is a great way to wrap that API. And it's a, again, a shared service provided by the GSA uh, at no cost to other agencies. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention was uh, Raven talked about the uh, the difficulty of, of being as fast as you and agile as you can in your CI and CD and is iterative in your development, but, but at some point, if you're dependent on a legacy service, you might end up throwing things over the wall. And I, I just wanted to make the case that, um, you know, as parts of the organization move faster, they're going to apply pressure to other areas that might not have the same pressures on them just to keep up. And then ultimately, you're going to be gated by the speed of your slowest element. So if the slowest element is saying, hey, I can't offer you that API in this way, or I can't give you uh, let's say a mocked service for you, for you to use during development so that you'll know it'll work, then that's going to slow everything down. And I think that's going to drive a lot more uh, technique. It's going to be less IT and more of development type activity. Um, so for example, if you're going to integrate an API as, as, as Raven suggested, um, you're going to have tools that will spin up you know, stubs and mocks. So you can mock out an API during development and Raven can do the front end side of that and without having direct access to the, the, the OSISO's uh, you know, on on-prem site, and similarly, the people who are working on that API and the OSISO side can have uh, stub clients, so they can actually test things. And I think ultimately, that's something that hasn't been mentioned: is that testing. You know, when you're not doing these big bang releases, you start doing more agile and iterative delivery of these services. The thing that makes it safe to deliver quickly is tests and having lots of tests at different areas and where things integrate. 
So I think that's a that's a key point to to focus on as agencies are bringing up these systems is to really invest in their testing capability and not have it be a, a one off thing that happens, you know, with humans at the end of a release cycle, but something that's happening continuously during development and that that gives you the the confidence to move quickly. And we've been talking about a lot of services that go along with application development and deployment, such as API security and so on, and, and the gating that's caused by your slowest element. And that gets to a cloud question. It basically is what do you need to know about your cloud? What do you need to ask your cloud provider? Because many of these are cloud offered services. They like to, all the cloud providers like to talk about how they've got catalogs of thousands upon thousands of services hosted in their clouds. And so what do you ask them and how do you make that balance of what services you want to be able to control yourself versus what are offered by the cloud as part of the service? And uh, Stephen, we'll go with you first. So something that, and this may sound odd coming from a CISO, but something I recommend to folks is start at SaaS if you at all can. Um, especially if you have a business unit that's driving the requirement. Software as a service, you're going to have folks that are on the development side that understands the services that are available, how to configure them and execute them. And that is the minimum amount of security that frankly, the business unit or the folks adopting SaaS, they're going to be responsible for. It's the lightest security lift in most cases. The questions though, that we need to be asking are really around data and accessibility. Um, it's very easy to also get locked into these SaaS environments because they don't offer data portability and they don't offer good visibility into their environments. And where we have challenges with some of our cloud service providers is around things like continuous monitoring and continuous diagnostics and mitigation. Can I get risk visibility and parity of those type of environments to the same I could in a platform environment or an infrastructure environment? There are a few folks out there that do it and they are exceptionally well. And then a lot of folks are aspiring to get there. But I would say that would be my number one question. Can I get visibility into my data, especially from a security sense, the logging and the transactions alerts, and then also what is my data portability if I need to get it out in a hurry or transition to somewhere else? Okay, and let me ask you, Ray, because uh, the question of security comes up over and over and there are different levels of security. And you've got the IL-5 at the DOD level, but at the civilian level, even there, you've got the CUI question, mm -hmm. the controlled unclassified information, huge discussion around that and the security of it. So how does the, what do you ask your cloud providers? What should you ensure that you've got there for CUI and general cyber security? Well, the good thing is the cloud providers are, are, are very transparent about what they can and can't do or what they've been certified and what they haven't been certified for. Uh, what I would say is it's, it's a back and forth. It's a, it's a combination of what is the data that you need to store, uh, what are the access points, and maybe one of your partners, you may have one security level, but let's say a partner agency, again, that you're working with may have a different requirement. So making sure that early on you're asking those questions, okay, what, what level am I looking at? And uh, we, we spoke about whether something is FedRAMP or FISMA high or uh, DOD impact level five, those, um, those will change as new partners are brought on. And you just have to make sure that whatever partner you're working with, whatever hyperscaler cloud provider you're working with, they have that information. You're asking those questions, even if it's not a requirement now, it may be in the future very quickly. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a growing concern. Uh, the, and when, when Appian government cloud received uh, DOD IL-5, the first question was, okay, great. 
from the Department of Defense, the first question was, okay, well, when are you getting the next level? And it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a never ending um, security concern or not concern, but more of a, a requirement that they're asking saying, great, if I need to move this data, these applications, what level can we go to? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, let me ask uh, Brett then, who, who verifies this? What the cloud providers say? Because not that they lie or not that they say something that isn't true, but it may not be compatible with your particular set of code. And so is that something we can rely on cloud.gov to do or the TTS to do, or how's that all work? So I think, I think ultimately you need to know what your portfolio of applications is and what the stack looks like for these things. Um, I think I said earlier in the panel, you need to shoot as high as you can in terms of the CSP's uh, level platform they're going to give you. Uh, and that has the trade-off that that's going to give you a lot more compliance under the hood. Uh, I, I refer to it as like a, turning a mountain into an iceberg where you're, you're you know, below the line, a lot of compliance and controls are taken care of and, and what, you know, how big is your part that sticks above the water that you're responsible for? Um, I think that's what you want to shoot for, but then you also come to the question of control. Uh, do I have enough control for the application that I'm going to be doing? Or will I outgrow that platform? Um, personally, I think that you should take a portfolio approach and you should have multiple solutions in, in hand. Uh, you should not be taking your simplest static website and putting it in a in an IaaS uh, account uh, because you're taking on way disproportionate amounts of security and compliance uh, work for that for that level of uh, of workload. Um, uh, I do think that the uh, the FedRAM program, which again is a is a within technology transformation services GSA, uh, the FedRAM program is is actually very good in that it is a uh, a bit of a force multiplier in terms of the compliance work that's done by CSPs. Uh, they will do their work with the FedRAM program once and get authorized either at the agency or the JAB level. After that, there is, you know, the, the authorization is there for, you know, moderate systems or high systems or low systems. But one of the things that people don't realize is that uh, there is a continuous monitoring process that is responsive to the, to the FedRAM side. So if you're looking to understand um, the controls that a, that a, a CSP can provide for you or handle for you, First, you're going to look at their public-facing materials and understand their platform, and, and sort of, you know, they'll they'll usually have a summary of a, a control information summary or a customer responsibility matrix. These are these are documents that will help you understand what parts are still left in your hand versus what they're going to handle for you. But the thing to realize is that once they've gone through FedRAMP, there's something called a package, and the package is something you can go to FedRAMP and ask for, and you'll see all their continuous monitoring materials. You'll see. Hey, is there a is there a, a, a poem, a, a, an outstanding finding that has not been addressed that is serious, that is ongoing and being tracked as a special case? That's a really important thing to look at to understand. Is the CSP meeting their obligations? What kinds of security problems do they have? Are those the kind of things that I would be concerned with the, with for the kinds of applications I'm going to put in there? Or are they irrelevant? Maybe they don't matter. And I'm like, okay, they have everybody's got got uh, you know some some bugs under the carpet. The, the ones that they have are tolerable to me in terms of risk. And I, I think that's where the CISO office comes in in these agencies. I don't think the program officers should have to evaluate them themselves, but the CISO office should be saying, I, we have authorized this at our agency at an agency-wide level, rather than trying to do it at a program by program level. And the programs can then have confidence. But again, I would say the, the CISO office should be looking for multiple solutions at different levels of abstraction so that they have appropriate places to land different applications. Yeah, right. The program office may have the money for all of this work, but it's the CIO and the CISO that really have to provide the expertise that the program manager does. That's why you've got a CIO and a CISO. Yeah, those, those are the ones who are going to dig into that package. And again, FedRAMP does maintain that for all the CSPs that have gone through the program. And that's a great aggregator for, for the federal government. Um, 
you can take the FedRAMP stamp as is and just say, well, I know their standards are high and they're better than what we're doing and I'll, I'll just build off that. Or you can say, well, I understand that, that that's, they've, they've satisfied the, the uh, requirements, but I wanna know more about what's going on behind the scenes. And, and as a government agency, you do have quite a lot of access uh, once you request access to that package. And Raven, earlier you said that some of the applications initially launched with the museum have become legacy. And legacy is usually a word meaning we got to do something about this, modernize it. What, what applications, just briefly describe what they cover and what your plans are for them. The, the one that we are looking at right now is the, I'm trying to think of what we call it. I guess it's the interactive um, network where we were building we were trying to build this ubiquitous type of platform to be able to meet all of the stakeholder needs because the curators are our stakeholders and they each own a certain part of the museum. So what we need to do is to make the those applications more whiz-bangy, I guess, because it's the visitor experience and we're trying to delight our visitors. And we need to use modern technologies to do that. And a lot of the interactives are not built uh, with a modern technology. So what we're thinking of is how do we, do we need to actually take this exhibit or interactive and make it new? Like, is that something we need to do or is it gonna be replaced by another exhibition or exhibit or whatever? And then if we do move it, is it gonna be on the web? Because now we're trying to move a lot of our stuff on the web because we can't only fit so many assets in the building and we have a lot of assets to offer. So let's get it out there. So if we don't put the interactive and all those things back in gallery, then we're going to put them on the web. So we have to consider migrating just to the web. And when we migrate to the web, that's a perfect example for using cloud. Okay, excellent. And so Ray, I wanted to ask you then, how does an agency know? How does a CIO know? How does the coders know? What is the best course of action for a given application? I mean, you're in the low code business. That's one approach. Refactoring is something else. Mm -hmm. And then just trying to extract the logic and render it in all new code. I think someone mentioned COBOL to Java, which is great, except what was a hundred thousand lines becomes 5 million lines mm -hmm. when you're done. And that has implications for, for deploying in the cloud. So what's your best advice there? Uh, you know what, There's it, it comes down to complexity and also understanding what I can automate and what I still need a human in the loop for. There's so many things now that can be automated that from a workflow, either using that or our RPA bot, that previously didn't exist many uh, in the in the recent future in the recent future in the recent past, and it every single day these automation updates are coming out and saying, okay, what processes within this application can I automate? What is a complex workflow that I can take care of? Or in the case of mentioned about, um, are there static displays or a website that isn't necessarily need automation? And it's more of as mentioned, whiz bang and saying, okay, what is it going to dazzle the visitors? and going down that route and saying, what sort of complexity am I looking for? And then if you're working with a cloud provider and saying, okay, what sort of tools can they bring to bear? And what tools can I tap? Whether, like I said, it's an RPA bot or it's something that um, I mean, need an external resource and building all those things, then you determine what your security posture is going to be. And again, working with your, your, your either your cloud provider or hyperscaler and your security office and saying, okay, what level of risk do I want to take? And from this application, what information and data am I going to store? 
And finally, uh, are there peaks and valleys of usage? I mean, everybody understands the whole, you know, uh, AWS when saying Christmas time, we need as much power as we can, or the IRS in April, or let's say the Census Bureau saying, okay, where are the peaks and valleys of, that, um, of the processing time? And that's where you can determine, okay, how, how large is this elephant and how am I going to eat it one bite at a time? Mm -hmm. So it's a good time to maybe do some process re-engineering maybe, and maybe there's functions and whole systems of logic you don't need anymore for your business. You can just cast those overboard and kind of simplify. It is amazing once you see those processes and you make them transparent, and then you have the aha moment saying, okay, we can change this on the fly or change this with very little work. So the, 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 the idea of compiling code is, is the, uh, you know, from a stone's age and you can change things as you're moving forward. And um, it, it, it's a great time to be in application development for that reason, because how fast you can take advantage of either process mining or automation or workflow improvements, it's, it's, it's a great time. All right, on that note, we'll take our next break. My guests today are Ray Wolf. He is the industry lead for global defense and intel programs at Appian. We've got Stephen Hernandez, the chief information security officer at the Department of Education. Raven Manuel is the senior application developer, architect, and DevOps engineer for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And Brett Mogilevsky, information technology specialist for cloud.gov at the General Services Administration. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is Scalability and Security with Industry-Leading Government Cloud, sponsored by Appian here on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Low Code episode, sponsored by Appian on Federal News Network.